As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com. Welcome to Classical Etc., a show that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. I'm sitting with three of my friends, Ian Galloway, Kyle Yonke, and Mitchell Holly. Ian, this is your first time on the show, so I think I need to introduce you to everyone. You're an editor at Memoria Press and just a general, all-around great guy. Appreciate it. And then Kyle is a, a recurring guest who came on a few times, and he is a literature teacher at Highlands Latin School. And then, of course, he also has a mustache. I don't know if, if that you see adds it. any sort of value to his opinion <laughs> at all, but certainly, it's quite certainly it does. it's quite distinguished. And then finally, we have Mitch, who I'm not sure yet what he brings to the table, right? But we keep bringing him back, and we will continue just to a do good so time for some reason. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about specifically Russian literature. Because it's something that the three of you guys seem to really like, and I've had conversations with each of you individually about different books written in Russian originally that you like. And to kind of frame this conversation initially, I want to use this metaphor. If you watch a sporting event, like a basketball game, for instance, after the game, usually they'll interview the coach or like the star players to get insight into the game. This podcast will not be that. (laughs) <laughs> this is like if after the game, they grabbed some fans off of the bleachers and brought them down and said, what did you think about the game? We're, we're not that's experts. It. Yeah, that's exactly We're people right. who yeah. love reading and want to appreciate it together <laughs> and hopefully share that appreciation with others. But before we get there, let's first stop and I want to ask each of you guys, what are you reading right now? Mitch, what are you reading right now? Oh, I'm just reading a few boring... Um philosophy books on stoic philosophy uh so therapy of desire um I, i've read a bit of that book before but I, I needed to go back to it um is this a modern book about stoicism or is this a primary text no this is a modern book about stoicism so um uh, Nussbaum, i believe is her name uh who wrote the book she's a philosopher um and she's written um many great books but this is this one in particular is about um how the different uh, classical schools of philosophy um, have integrated theory and practice together. So if that, I don't know if you're bored, but that's it. Is it a boring book? Uh, no, 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 not at all. Uh, it's a, it's a very pressing topic. Um, Stoicism? <laughs> <laughs> well, just this idea, you know, how does theory affect practice and how does practice and theory form a way of being in the world sure. that is, um, that has philosophical justification that is, um, you know, but also competing. There's various ways to be in the world mm. to combine theory and practice. And so. you would say Russian literature speaks to how to be in the world? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. We'll come to that. <laughs> Kyle Yonke, what are you reading right now? Yeah. So I'm working my way again through Hamlet in preparation for a book club that I'm leading here shortly. Um, being reminded how difficult of a play Hamlet mm. is how difficult of a character he is. And then I'm also uh, kind of on my off time reading East of Eden because Ooh. it was suggested to me, <clears throat> and I, I remain skeptical, but I'm only uh, 100 pages in or so. Um, but it was suggested to me that East of Eden might be a candidate for the great American novel. Oh, so wow. I thought I'd better give that a try. And what's at the top of your great American novel list? Uh, so... <laughs> Because it's so short. You haven't written yours yet? And so, well, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me in, in what? I don't know. 
20 years. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, so because it's so short, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but I, I feel like the great Gatsby might be interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't know not, you were a Gatsby guy. Great. Oh, I'm, I am, I am thoroughly a Gatsby guy. But have you read any Steinbeck? Uh, well, you're I'm in the middle. There. Yeah. I'm getting there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've read East of Eden before, but I don't, it was in high school. I didn't okay. So not Moby Dick. It's up there. It's in the running. Okay. I, it's a great novel too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sure. a, it's thoroughly American. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So what would you say are the categories that define the great American novel? Yeah. I, I would need, I think, maybe a little more time to think about that. But um, when I say it's, you know, Moby Dick is thoroughly American, I mean, it, it's an, an analysis of American identity and American sure. values and, and all of those things. I think The Great Gatsby does that exceptionally well. Also, just a definition of, you know, um, in in the way that one could look at Homer to see what it means uh, to be Greek. Yeah, like is it, what novels can we look to to see what it means to be American? That that, that might mm-hmm. be one of my criteria. And I imagine there's probably some Russian equivalent that if we were Russian citizens, we would say would this imagine. book. Yeah, yeah. Ian, what are you reading right now? Yeah. <clears throat> So I'm reading Besides through, the Syriac Peshitta. <laughs> that, but <laughs> trying to, anyway. Uh, so I'm reading through a couple different things I've got lined up in the queue. So we're we're reading through The Return of the King again, and I love that book. And mm. so super excited to continue reading through that. Uh, also reading through Nikolai Gogol's Dead Souls, mm. which is so hilarious. Gogol, also a Russian. Also a Russian, and also very funny mm. in a mm. way that some of these other novelists aren't, but very good. And Have then, you read any other Gogol before? No, a, no. This is my first experience with Gogol. And, and that's so, because you've read everything else. No, not necessarily. <laughs> but he's he's very unique in in many regards. Um, and then working through a Flannery O'Connor. I just recently. The reason I was asking Kyle about Moby Dick is I just recently started it, and I'm about 16 chapters in. And I went into it. You hear people talk about it like it's the most turgid, like encyclopedic mm-hmm. experience. And maybe that just like prepared me for a wonderful experience, but I found it just hilarious so far. And maybe one of the funniest books I've ever read, like I, it's in the running for sure. And yeah, I'm just like totally captivated by it already, like 16 chapters in. Um, so I, there's a long way to go. I think 134 chapters. Yep. You know, yeah, you, you find are, whale you violence not even funny. a percentage that right of the way through. Yeah. It's whale violence. Is that what the... That is that the funny part? <laughs> <laughs> if I ever if I ever teach Moby Dick again, I might have to call you in as a guest speaker just for five minutes to walk in and tell the class this book is funny, and then walk out. <laughs> and we can, can continue. It's killing me. It's it honestly, is. It is. It's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's really funny. It is a great book. So yeah, so that's what I'm reading right now. So turning our attention to Russian literature, we've all read a little bit. None of us are experts, but we enjoy it and have at least spent the time it takes to read through these books, which are notoriously long. And complicated. So I kind of want to just go around the table and get your personal biography with Russian lit and talk about your growth and successes and relationship to this corpus. So starting with you, Mitch. I guess I started, I started Anna, Anna K maybe three times before I actually got through it. Yeah. I think <laughs> uh, a common experience. I think I started it too young, frankly. And what, what were the factors that caused you to give up on it? Oh, I, so I started too young was the number one thing. Um, you know, the first time I started, it was probably seventh or eighth grade, middle school. And that was a mistake. Hmm. 
Um, and then the second time I was probably in high school and just didn't sufficiently care quite yet about uh, getting past the Russian names. Um, and really, it wasn't until I was a more relationally mature, really college, I think, is when I attempted it the third time, where I, I was began to think more in 3D about relationships instead of a sort of 2D you know, young child who just is still trying to understand that there's a relationships are complicated. They, you know, they are uh, a friendship can be on many different levels. Um, uh, a marriage is much deeper than a sort of just contractual relationship that you have with somebody. Right. So, uh, because that's where the book begins to, um, that's where it plays, right. Mm -hmm. it, there's a lot of, uh, th that's where a lot of the, the sort of hay is made in that particular book. So it took it, it. It took me being an older reader, a more mature reader, I think, before I realized that there was good quality here. Um, the other books, right? I mean, War and Peace was was a big. It was hard to get through, um, but then there were books that were not hard to get through, like Crime and Punishment, uh, Brothers K, The Idiot, uh, Turgenev was is probably by far one of my favorites, Fathers and Sons. I mean, that was just revolutionary um, for how I relate to my father um, and how I, it, I, but again, I all of those books I had to approach later in life um, because reading them earlier, I just wasn't equipped. Um, so just because you can read something doesn't mean you should. Yeah, this is my yeah. advice. So you've read Two Tolstoy, yep. Anna Kay, and War and Peace. And then three Dostoevsky. Yes. Which ones do you say? Crime and Punishment. Uh, the Idiot. The Idiot and Brothers Karamazov. Yeah, that's right. And then you've read one Turgenev. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Well, there... I've read a few of his short stories, although Kyle was just telling me before the conversation, it's been published in a few names, some of those short stories. Hmm. Um, and I haven't heard the one that you had, you had mentioned or the... Uh, the Comment. Would you say that you said that the Turgenev story is your favorite out of all of those? Would you say Turgenev is your favorite author among them, or it was just the favorite story, or is there is it's there a the favorite that, author? I I, I would say that I mean obviously Anna Anna Kay is probably my, one of my favorite actual novels, but I think that when I read Turgenev, that was the book that at the moment impacted me the most. Mm. I'm I think I'm more influenced um, by sitting longer with Anna Karenina. Um, you know, so over the years I've been influenced maybe more, but I didn't quite have the sort of Copernican revolution that I had when I read, as I did when I read Turgenev. We'll, we'll double back to that yeah. and, and unpack that a little bit, but you spent, you've spent a significant, reading that many Russian novels, you spent a significant, again, amount of your time in 19th century Russia. Right. What would impel you to do so? Well, I mean, first of all, Russian culture is fascinating i'm not sure if you've ever studied or or if you've even just read you know i think oxford has a great little short history of russia and one of those like short history books even if you just uh, you know flip through that the history of russia is fascinating um and the cultural influences uh, the mat massive shifts that occurred uh during the revolutions um so just from a culture standpoint uh it's really is rich and has a lot to offer um, and there's also something to that sort of early 19th century, um, way of life, right? Where you had an aristocratic, cl aristocratic class that, uh, was a sort of, uh, noble, 
uh, aristocracy that saw themselves as ta- needing to take care of or or not take care of uh, or neglect those who you know would be around or working their fields or whatever. Um, yeah, there's a lot. I think there's a lot to offer there uh, because Russian culture at the time was so influenced by French liter- the French literary tradition and the classical ideas that sort of bubbled up in Central Europe, mm. Western Europe. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because Russian culture and history seems to have like stark evils and then some like interesting good. It's just like there's so much to be found in in that history. There's so much darkness in that history, yeah. right? But yeah. then there's there's men all along the way and and women who've who are were writing, I mean, trying to argue for the soul of Russia. I mean, isn't that what Brothers K is about? Mm-hmm. It's about the soul of Russia. Um and who's gonna save the soul of Russia. And, you know, there's an interesting answer there yeah. about how it will be saved uh, in Brothers K. But Sure. So, Kyle, what what is your relationship to this body of Russian literature? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I could start with just the general awareness that one, you know, just in high school and, and beyond into college, the awareness that one should have read the Russian authors, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, without necessarily in college, you know, knowing why that's the case. But so I guess it started there. Um, I've made, I made similarly many, uh, failed attempts at reading. Um, one of them actually was fathers and sons, which is, (laughs) I, yeah, I want to know more because, um, that's a novel that I read in college and I just felt, I found it in a used bookstore and Hmm. I thought, Oh, that, that, that title seems meaningful. Right. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm a son, I have a father. Um, so, I read it and just I just felt like I didn't understand it. Mm. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a dislike. It was just I don't know what this novel is doing. Yeah. It felt foreign. Um, so I've had that. That's you know part of my experience with that. But the, then later I've I've taught uh, I taught Anna Karenina and I actually taught briefly just sort of a a you know to fill some time at the end of the year um, for a couple of years running a Russian short story mm. uh, unit. Um, to senior in my senior year of literature uh, class, and we did um, <clears throat> we did um, uh, short stories by you know everyone you know Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Turgenev. We did a couple um, by Turgenev. The Singers mm. sticks out in my mind. Mm-hmm. I think that's the title. Yeah, mm-hmm. as just being a beautiful, uh, beautiful short story, a beautiful piece of literature. Um, we did some Gogol as well. I discovered uh, Gogol's Overcoat or that's translated differently. I've seen it differently here and there, but uh, the story that Dostoevsky attributes, you know, he, he says he has some quote about, you know, all Russian writers come out from under Gogol's uh, overcoat, which <laughs> uh, is a great line. And then, so, you know, I mean, you read that and um, I, I think I have some thoughts about what Dostoevsky means by that. But so that's, that's another uh, story that I love. And then, um, yeah, so I taught Anna Karenina for a while. Yeah, uh, how many years have you that. taught it? That so I don't teach it currently. I taught it um, t- two years, okay. uh, two years running. Uh, the first year was I was reading it, you know, two weeks before the students sure. were reading it, <laughs> and then scrambling to you know handwritten notes that I was taking into class. And um, so yeah, and it is it, it is a great a great novel. I have I I, I confess maybe to my shame, um, but maybe it's a it's a position that I want to stand behind. I, I don't know. Um, but I have I have stopped halfway through, or I've, I've sort of 
you know, slowed and then stopped halfway through the Brothers K twice. Mm. Oh, wow. Not just once, but twice. That's a real um, big mistake. Mm-hmm. I am, I am. I would agree with Mitch. I, okay. I, I want to be <clears throat> talked down from my, my position on that. I, I want to be proven wrong, but, um, yeah. So that's, that's my experience with, with Dasquesi and we can, I mean, get more into yeah, that. Let's, we'll double back but, to it. Yeah. I, I just, overall, I have a sense of the Russians as, um, that that I've read and liked as just being beautiful uh, beautiful portraits of humanity mm. that's I mean the singers sticks out for that Gogol's overcoat is is just a a breathtaking image of of the significance of, of human life and the, the meaningfulness um which I think is kind of the best kind of realism I think mm. I think we can use the word realism I don't know but um, yeah. Nice. Ian, what about you? Yeah. So I began with war and peace and similar to some of you guys, uh, talking about stopping, stopping halfway, got about halfway through and stopped mm. and really not because I didn't like it, but just because I stopped and then school, other things took over and I've never been able to go back. And so that's on the list. Mm. I want to get back to that. But then I think my true sort of deep dive into Russian liter- literature was with Dostoevsky and I spent about a year with him. So I started with Brothers K. And Sounds like you guys are personal friends. It, you know, there are times where I feel that way. I, I, I've, heard, <laughs> I've heard people talk about, you know, whether reading theologians or reading any author that sometimes it's better instead of reading widely just to find your guy, find your person, mm. read them, read them deeply. And I'm a big proponent of that. I, I think that's, I think that's a great way to read. And so I did that with Dostoevsky. Now I haven't read everything that he's done. In fact, I've got a couple of, I think notes from underground is one that I've got uh, that I haven't read. And it's pretty short mm. comparatively. And it's one of his early novels. And so it's an interesting um it's interesting. I, I know a little bit about it, but I need to read it. But the Brothers K introduced me to Russian literature, introduced me to Dostoevsky's writing style, and just sort of the, I've heard people talk about his writing as polyphonic, the, 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 this multi-voiced kind of writing, and I think that's spot on. So what, is, what does that mean? So even just the dialogue is often very unique to each character, mm. and the descriptions of, of peoples and places is is all over the place. He's sort of an extreme writer. He often, we kind of come to understand ourselves through through the use of these extreme characters and situations and words that he uses. But he's also, you know, at times very profound and beautiful. Uh, the next book I read was uh, Crime and Punishment, which cemented my love for Russian literature. I mean, my heart mm-hmm. was racing through, oh, through yeah. the crime, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Just the way he brings all this together, but we can double back to this. Uh, it's just a beautiful book. It's dark. It's depressing, but there's there, there's hope uh, in the midst of that. And then I read through Demons, uh, The Idiot. Um, then I spent some time in Anna Karenina, and that was, I think, where I began to understand why people have this discussion about Tolstoy being the greatest mm-hmm. novelist. Or, you know, do you like Dostoevsky or Tolstoy better? And, mm. and reading Anna Kay, I was like, I don't, I don't, I can't say I like either one better because, because both of them bring profound things to the table. And Anna Kay, being a married man, was, was, was the right time to read it. I didn't read it until about uh, last year, maybe two years ago. And just 
looking at the two marriages, uh, mm-hmm. among the many marriages, but the two main ones, and seeing one example of this sort of fallen anti-marriage and one of this beautiful sort of redeemed marriage. It takes time to develop. Uh, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. And then now reading through through Gogol, it's it's interesting because, because Dostoevsky says that about him, and I've kind of entered mm-hmm. into his work at the last, at the in the in the final in the final place, I've never read Pushkin or any of the 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 poetry, the Russian poetry. But Gogol is hilarious. I mean, I'm reading through Dead Souls, and it is just one funny paragraph after the other. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, it's worth reading. Yeah. yeah, nice. And so, with Dostoevsky, you, in that year, what were the books that you read in that year? So, I think I began with the Brothers Karamazov, and then was Crime and Punishment. And then was, I think, Demons or maybe The Idiot. Either one. I think Demons actually I ended on. I think it was The Idiot. And The Idiot's a great story. It's about sort of this beautiful man, beautiful in every way, handsome, but also gifted and also just somebody that we all would like and sort of how he's driven, spoiler, to madness Mm -hmm. by the world around him. Mm -hmm. And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting novel. Um, and I think those four were the big ones that I read. There's maybe yeah. one that I'm missing. I'd take you a good year. It, um, yes, yeah, it took a while. So <laughs> would you weigh into the Dostoevsky versus Tolstoy debate? Listen, I, I don't have enough uh, ammo for that. I, I like Dostoevsky, I think, more because of my first experience. He was sort of the one that grabbed me. And I think there's something to that. You know, you kind of have those authors, like The Lord of the Rings. It's the first fantasy that I read and it turned me into a lover of fantasy. Sure. So I think with Dostoevsky, and now I like Russian literature, even though it's multifaceted, even though not everybody is Dostoevsky <clears throat> by any means. But I love it because I got in with him. Yeah. It's almost like the yin and yang, right, yeah. of uh, of Russian literature. You have the light and the dark right yeah. next to each other. You have, you know, Anna Karenina, which is more, it has a different color to it, yeah. Yeah, a different texture, a different yeah. lens. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Crime and Punishment is... Uh, that's a depressing, that can be depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, per usual, I'm the least well read among the four of, uh, four of us. And I've read Crime and Punishment and Anna Kay. I read that a few weeks ago. I finally finished it. And what I thought was interesting in each of your guys' answers is that all four of us started and stopped with one of them. For me, it was Anna Kay. I've started and stopped it three times until I finally finished it. And same, same thing that you were saying, Ian. I, it's not that I didn't like it. I just stopped reading. Yeah. And then yeah. finally come back to it. But... In those two experiences, they they have both been unique reading experiences, unlike anything else that I've read. And the only thing I think I would add that you guys haven't mentioned is that I think there has to be a sense in which the reasons that Tolstoy and Dostoevsky seem to resonate with people even today, uh, 150-ish years later in a different country, is they're very much theologians. Maybe not orthodox, maybe not, uh, you know, perfect in every way or aligned with the, the standard, you know, Protestant or Catholic, you know, theological systems in America. But in both of those novels specifically, there are very Christocentric themes that mm-hmm. come through and I, that I think resonate with people. So, yes, I, I don't, I, I might, and this, and this gets back to the, the Tolstoy Dostoevsky debate. I, I might say that or, or go along with that with Dostoevsky. Um, one of my questions was going to be, I was trying to think of a way to word it. I don't know if this is quite the way to word it, but, but I mean, is that, is, is the Brothers K whole as a work of art, as a, mm. as a text, as a novel? Um, let's I, have, I can, let's I have can, this discussion I, now. <laughs> I, I can feel, I can, the, the, the ragged edge and, and the, you know, the pull of that in, in Dostoevsky, you know, the, uh, 
desperation. Um, what I love about Tolstoy is the completeness and the, and the, you know, he knows where he's going. He's taking his time. Now I taught Anna Karenina, which is the, the most powerful motivation to get through a novel, I think, is <laughs> you have to walk into a room and sound intelligent. Stand about up it. in right. front of people. Right. Yeah. 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 So I, I have that. I mean, I, you know, I can't claim to, um, that, that may be coloring my, my opinion. Uh, but it just felt, I got a sense of, of him. I, I would, I would say Tolstoy is a novelist first. He's, he's a, a writer first and that theology is there. Um, the, the belief is there, but he's, he's an artist making art and, and doing it really well and a certain kind of art. Um, Dostoevsky, I, I feel, especially Brothers K, now uh, there might be, I don't know. I, I'll just throw it out there and you guys can, can argue, argue with, me down. I agree, I agree with exactly 50% of what you just said. <laughs> okay. Obviously, you only Tolst- read half the book. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, Tolstoy is a true artist. I mean, he is painting an incredible picture of, of what a marriage should be mm-hmm. uh, and shouldn't be. Um, and that ultimately, I mean, he's the, the canvas there, you know, has light and dark. Uh, and as a result, you see things very clearly. Um, so yes, of course, totally agree. Stamp of approval. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everything else you said was complete trash. <laughs> uh, um, so brothers K, uh, I mean, it's, it's incredibly, not only does it hold up as a novel, mm. uh, so there's a, there's a unity to it. It's telling one story, uh, which uh, even the way it ends, it ends pretty abruptly and Mm. he does that on purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also is deeply Christian because it is arguing that the central thing that is going to save Russia is Christ. Mm. The central thing that will save Russia is Christ. So think about the grand inquisitor in the very middle section of the brothers K the grand inquisitor is asking questions of who? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> and the Grand Inquisitor, and basically the Grand Inquisitor is supposed to represent the church, but yet he's trying to manipulate Jesus into being a, a basically just a power play, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're trying to, uh, we're trying, uh, the Grand Inquisitor is trying to manipulate Christianity into a tool to oppress the masses, yeah. right? And so that, the ultimate question, uh, well, taking a step back, before that, the main question of the novel is if you could create a perfect society with where everyone was flourishing, right? Everyone was truly happy, but yet you had to kill an innocent child to get that. Mm-hmm. Would you do it? And the grand inquisitor says, yes, I would. I would kill Jesus. Jesus would be, I would, I would take Jesus out of the center of religion. And then at the very end, you have this yeah, this kind of abrupt ending. Uh, well, and then the, the, the question is posed, right? Um, how would you achieve that? Would you be willing if one innocent were to die? Um, and that's the question throughout the entire novel. And then at the very end, you have this minor character <laughs> who dies. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the main character stands up in front of all these little children and says... It is the memory of this one man, this one child who died selflessly in love that will cause all of us to be fundamentally different. And so the Grand Inquisitor, the heart, who is the heart of, of Russia, um, was not answering the question correctly. He was killing Jesus in order to answer the question. But this child who embodied Jesus 
ultimately becomes the one who saves them all. And the paradox is that one innocent died so that the rest of them could live a transformed life. And so that original question, would you kill an innocent so that everyone, so that you can create a world where everyone would live uh, with flourishing uh, in a way that is flourishing is ultimately answered yes and amen, <laughs> both by the life of the, of the little boy, but also by, as a, that is an echo of the life of Jesus. And that's, that's the question that Russia has to answer. Yeah. Yeah, jump in here. I, do you agree with me? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I agree. Because when you read the Brothers K the first time, you think, what's going on? You well, know, the, uh, it, yeah, it's, the it's, Grand Inquisitor yeah. and the end of the book are separated by 600 pages. That's exactly right. In so. <laughs> a murder mystery. And so you think, yeah, the murder yeah. is the whole thing. But no. that ending, if you, if you, I think the ending forces you to reckon with the beginning of the book with that mm. question. Mm. And when I have the benefit of being in a book club discussion with Mitchell about this. So I do agree because I've listened to it before and I think, yes, that's the right analysis of, of the brothers K. Yeah. It was a good time. Mm. You should have been there, Kyle. Yeah. You yeah, would have read okay, the second okay. half. So. <laughs> you would have been forced through it. Yeah. <laughs> so Kyle, people started to stop at the grand inquisitor because it doesn't make any sense. They're like, why, why? And you really don't know why it makes sense until the you end. Reach of the book. The end. Yeah. Does that address mm. your objection? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I, I, Cause I'm thinking of, this is. I don't want to say this to someone who has just started Moby Dick, um, but balance when it comes to art. This is the one. The one. My one critique of Melville that I would have is that he's a little bit imbalanced. That there's there's so much uh, passion and love of what he loves. That and it, it. I mean, this is why you know it sort of takes people out. Now, I, I think I, I would argue for getting through it. I'm sure, you would argue for. You have argued well for getting through Brothers K. Um, but I think I, I, that question of balance still remains for me for Dostoevsky as well. Is it's just there's like you said there's well, you said 600 pages separating. Yeah. <laughs> it's, what what integrates all of that and and ties that all together? Um, what what. The central, I think the, the central organizing question is, is that question proposed at the beginning and yeah. where you know, the brothers talk. And I think it takes working through the three brothers to get to that because you got Ivan, you've got Dimitri, you've got Alyosha, and they are all different. And you have to look at the answer that Ivan provides and it's not satisfying. You got to look yeah. at the answer that Dimitri provides and it's not satisfying. And at the end, Alyosha, spoiler, mm-hmm. is the one that provides the right answer. Even though he may not have logically gotten there, even though his, his arguments when he's discussing with Ivan or Dimitri yeah. are always that compelling. It's just the beauty of his life yeah. and the beauty of, of the lives of the children and of the life of the innocent, particularly that mm-hmm. wins you yeah. in the end. So let's move from this kind of specific discussion of brothers Kate and zoom out a little bit to a more general question. And that is there have been um, many situations where you guys each have decided what I'm going to do for the next hour or two hours <laughs> is open up this translation of a Russian book yeah. and sit here. Yeah. Um, what are the forces that have caused you to do that? What are, what are you guys looking for in this quest when you pick up those books? Why would someone else do the same and not, and not pick up Steinbeck or any other like or Vic, Victor Hugo or some other language, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, I think realism is is done best now. Now I'm I'm using that word. Um, I don't know if if that's 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 the proper word to use, but but as distinct from 
a great work of literature being an, an epic poem mm. with gods and goddesses involved and and or or a fantasy fairy tale mm-hmm. with magic involved uh, you know elves and whatnot um you know the russians aren't doing any of that they're writing they're not uh, uh you know dostoevsky tolstoy um the big names are not writing poetry mm. they're writing novels and i think there's something about the novel that is conducive to to realism that that that's there's there's a match there and I think what realism does best, um, or let me rephrase, uh, I, I think what I what I want from realism, I think realism at its best, is perceiving the the worth of a human being. That looking at humanity as it truly is, uh, and and giving it you know profound image of of our humanness, and then and affirming it and finding worth and beauty in it. This, this is uh, Gogol's The Overcoat. Um, this is kind of, that That would be the text that I, that I would point to to say that like that that book, because uh, it, it involves, I mean, the story, is, it's, it's not a story at all. You know, he, he's, he's a, you know, a clerk whose coat is, you know, ragged and torn and he can't afford a new one. And it's the story of how he saves up enough money to finally afford a, a new one. And then his trials in, in trying to get this new coat made. And then, what ends up happening with his new coat that that's the content of the story there's there's almost nothing there you know it's not it's not the anger of achilles it's it's just this coat <laughs> sure. but in that is such a rich view of human life is meaningful even, mm-hmm. even the 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 acquiring and the losing of a, of a beautiful coat can matter deeply because human life matters deeply um yeah, and that, uh, that's that, that that's I think what I what I look for, and that that's what makes it yeah valuable, compelling, you know, necessary to read. Yeah, yeah I think anyone. I mean, I completely agree. I mean, I think what's great. So, so Mitch, you're just going to answer the question, even though before this episode, when I said I was going to ask this question, you said you looked in my eyeballs and you yeah. said that's right. a stupid question. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, on one one part of me just thinks. Well, the question ultimately reduces to why read a book, sure. <laughs> you know, uh, because, you know, but to Kyle's point, I, there is a sense in which the Russian uh, novelists in particular, um, you know, uh, wade into the uh, the infinite amount of gray that exists in how humans relate to the world. Mm. Um, and that's why I think I fail, was a failed reader of Russian literature until I was older, until I you know, had your first argument with your wife or, you know, or, you know, or realize <laughs> or your 50th or your 50th, you know, or, and realize that, you know, this is someone I love, but also they're really frustrating to me. And, you know, and, and realizing that, oh, I caused some of that. And so there's a, there's, you have to, in order to appreciate the realness of what they're bringing to you, which is, uh, which is always relationships that are in repair or in disrepair. Um, I have to first sort of have enough life experience to recognize how truly real this is. You know, growing up, you just have a little bit of an ideal, idealized, most kids, you know, not every kid, you know, but a lot of kids have just an idealized notion about what a, a friendship is, what a, um, you know, what a, a, a husband or wife relationship should look like. Um, and so reading something like this could, it's it's almost too real for them, you know, that it's, it's like, it, it hurts to touch, right? Whenever... Um, but then whenever you get in into a little bit more life experience, you're, you 
you know, this helps me appreciate, this gives me the vocabulary and the lens to be able to interpret my own human experiences. Um, and maybe that's the realism that you're getting at. Yeah. I might, I might even take that just a step further and say, I think maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but a lot of young people have, young people have a, a fantasy of what being an adult is and of doing right. great things and doing grand things. And then you grow up, you know, and you it's, do none of those things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. I, I almost, I, I sometimes, I want to introduce to the conversation too, that just Russian snow. Um, I've never been to Russia. Hardship. I get the impression <laughs> it's cold, right? Um, but as opposed to the Mediterranean where, where you know, the, the, you see this in art too, where, where Mediterranean, you know, that it there's a, Nature wasn't a character because it's not killing you. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, there, there's an openness and there's a there's a freedom of movement, um, you might say, uh, in Mediterranean art, Mediterranean literature. Whereas Russia had, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I think I can speak to this a little Three bit. Three of the four of us right. grew up in Wisconsin, so. South Carolina. So no, no well, yeah. okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but that 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 just the significance of the weather, the 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 obstacle of the weather mm-hmm. getting in the way of that childhood fantasy idea of what it means to be an adult and do big things. Um, you know, the Russians speak to that and then the Russians hand you the meaningfulness of it. It's yeah. a great point. I, I think Mitch on your point, a good example of this would be there's this film. I haven't seen it and maybe um, Kyle you have, and you can tell me the title of it, but it's a Woody Allen movie and I know the plot of it. And that is the guy ends up killing someone. And the whole kind of point of the movie is that, he kills someone and then nothing happens. Yeah. Like he expects it to be the, just this big event where he killed someone, but like nothing happens. And the point that Woody Allen is trying to make is this very like sarcastic, nihilistic, kind of just pessimistic, you know, no, nothing matters. You know, it's just <laughs> people kill people. I mean, life goes on. Where that could not be any more different than Crime and Punishment, where Raskolnikov, when he kills someone, he thinks he can get away with it. And yet it destroys him. It's a psychological terror to him. Yeah, it's it, yeah. and and he needs redemption. He needs to mm-hmm. walk the cross of suffering and to yeah. lay that sin down. And so it's a realism, but it's not a realism that doesn't have meaning infused in it. It's not a surrealism. Yeah, right. that, that, that's a really interesting connection. So the movie is Crime and Punishment, um, I think, that you're referencing. The last the shot Woody of the Allen movies yes. is called Crime and Punishment. Yes, that's hilarious. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No crimes, <laughs> oh. but but still crimes and misdemeanors. Crimes and misdemeanors. <laughs> yes. oh. um, crimes and misdemeanors. <laughs> that's good. But that's yeah. awesome. that is very yeah. close. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, I mean that's not on that's that's on purpose. Yeah, yeah. that's got that has be. Yeah. to be. I yeah. mean, yeah. the last shot of the movie though is one of the side characters who throughout the course of the movie is going blind, and there are many conversations in the movie about the the tragedy of that and the yeah. loss of that. Um, it's him blind, now fully blind at the end of the movie, dancing with his daughter at her wedding mm-hmm. and he's happy. And I, there's a, there's a feeling that the movie is, is Maybe looking not so at, nihilistic. Yeah. Well, he's a man of faith, mm-hmm. right. As opposed to all the nihilistic characters in the film. Um, and I think there's, there's a, there's a tone there mm-hmm. of the nihilism looking at the man of faith with a sense, with envy, with, with a sense of jealousy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, but he doesn't have it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it did definite contrast to uh, crime and punishment, where you know right. he he looks at his mom and he's and he's holding the secret that he killed someone, and he it, it dawns on him, I'll never be able to relate to anyone ever right. again, because they'll never know what I did, and if I told them, it would ruin everything. Hmm. I mean, just the weight of 
I mean, it, you know, in my own marriage, you know, if I had done something right that that I am I'm too ashamed to tell my wife. I mean, the, the severity of what that does, not just to me, but now to my relations. Mm. Uh, and I will never, because of certain sins that might be in my life, it might be impossible for me to relate more fully, right? Yeah. Uh, unless that is dealt with, and that's psychological yeah. so, torture. So we're talking about the 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 curse or the the the, the discipline and the punishment of wrongdoing being a blessing mm-hmm. that actually restores life, right? Yeah. And the the freedom to be nihilistic and to do whatever you want, the quote unquote freedom actually being the curse. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. In coming back to the original question, what kept you coming back to the well? Well, you know, I mm-hmm. think there's certainly that prestige of reading these novels because you hear all your life, you know, these but are the ones, these are the ones to read. Yeah. And so there's certainly yeah. a draw to do that. And I absolutely read, uh, tried to pick up a war and peace for that very reason. But I think it was learning that, the Russian novelists have a a unique insight into the human experience. And we've already talked this. I'm not going to necessarily bring too much more to that part of the conversation, but they do. They they talk about you experience the full range of human emotion in each of the works, Crime and Punishment. You do so in The Brothers Karamazov. You do so in Anna Karenina because you've got a character in Anna Karenina who you empathize with and sympathize with even though she's wrong and what she's done is wrong she's she's not wholly wrong you understand why she does these things and Tolstoy writes her in such a way that you that you you grow to sorrow at her ending yeah you know mm-hmm. and I think that's a powerful thing that they bring to the table mm. Yeah. Mm. coming back around to Turgenev mm. Mitch you had a a religious experience with the, <laughs> yeah. with the book Fathers and Sons. Kyle, however, said it was a snooze fest. I also did not get through it, but I was listening to it. And I may have been the problem. I'm oppressed on all sides you are. in this conversation. Yeah, so I would yeah. like you to speak for yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, <clears throat> when you first looked at the book, Kyle, you you thought to yourself intuitively, I'm, I'm a son, I have mm-hmm. a father. So this is... Uh, and. Ultimately, that's what it's all about. It's about a uh, a father and a son, um, and what I what I didn't quite or what you ultimately find out is what happens whenever you come to see the world completely different than your father. Okay, every son grows up, and at first you look at your father as he is Superman. He's here. He's the hero of every tale. He opens up the cookie jar where mom can't do it. You know, he takes me to the sporting events. He dies for me on a regular basis, right? So he is a superhero. But what happens when you grow up, you come to find out that he is maybe, he's had some false opinions. He's had some things that maybe you disagree with. How could that destroy your relationship? Or how could that, how could there be some another answer to that question? How could it not destroy your relationship when you come to see the world differently? So in the story, the son goes off to St. Petersburg. He leaves the country. He goes to the city, and he receives the latest German philosophy, nihilism. Uh, his father, on the other hand, receives an education, uh, but it was years and years earlier when French romanticism was the primary governing uh, philosophy in the academy at the time. So you've got a nihilist son, a romantic father. The romantic father, there's meaning in everything. The son, there's meaning in nothing, right? 
On top of these two characters, you have their foils. The son brings home a friend who is the who has no balance whatsoever. He's the perfect nihilist. There's meaning in nothing at all. The father, his brother, is uh, is in the story in the well. He's the perfect romantic. He's he's the guy who all he cares about is uh, aesthetic tastes. Okay, so these two p- uh, players on the end, the friend of the son and the uncle, uh, they hate each other. Right, because that's the natural. There's meaning in everything, everywhere, and there's meaning nowhere. Right, so they can't relate on any level whatsoever. And in the middle of these two philosophies are these is this one relationship between a father and a son, where the father and the son have to come to grips with the way that they're viewing the world could destroy their relationship. It could destroy them, and it destroyed the foil, right? Um, but it in the but they're not they're not real characters they're they're just supposed to be a pure light and a pure dark right uh it, the real characters are the are the father and the son and what i glean from this is that and and when at, like i said every kid gets to a point where they see that their dad they disagree with their dad and they could either say therefore we have no relationship or they could learn to see um the value and appreciate um their father for who he is and for his place and time, recognizing what he's accomplished may be different than what you want to accomplish, but wanting to be the best of what he was. Um, and that hit me at a time where, not that I was like hating my dad or anything, but <laughs> although we all read literature and philosophy as a cheap form of therapy. Am I right? Literature in philosophy is just not so cheap. Sometimes it's thousands of pages. Yeah, it's that. So on one hand, yes, therapy, but on the other hand, um, just to get seeing my dad in a fresh light, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what the character in the novel has to do. He has to see his dad in a fresh light. Yeah, that's my pitch. So what I take away from this is that uh, Ian and Kyle haven't gotten to that part of therapy yet. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Yeah, we're <laughs> We're on the road. They have a little yeah. farther to go. I guess I agree with my dad on everything. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, that's good. And I think it speaks to just the way that these novels, as you guys have said over and over again, are so acute in their description of the human condition. And that's kind of what keeps us coming back to them. Here's a question, though, that I think we could end on. <clears throat> the reason that this topic is appropriate for this table, this, this show, is because the project of classical education, at least in part, is to prepare people for a life where they fill it with good, rich things. That is, you cannot access these books without some level of preparation. And hopefully our classical educations put students in a position where they can decide, I'm going to spend a year with Dostoevsky and it'll be a rich one. (laughs) What are your guys' tips, tricks, words of advice for an adult who wants to engage with these books? Where should they start? What should they do? How would you recommend that they engage? And and I'll just start it by saying, to Kyle's chagrin, use audiobooks. <laughs> um, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've read Anna Kay on audio and thoroughly enjoyed it. Read by Maggie Gyllenhaal, the actress, <laughs> and she read it very well. And and if I know I'm going to be in the car driving to work for 25 minutes there and back doesn't matter how long the book is. I'm going to get through it eventually. <laughs> and then when I really start liking the book, my walks with my dog just start getting longer and longer and longer. So I'm like, ah, I just want to get a couple more chapters in. Um, so that would be a, a piece of advice I would recommend, especially for long books. I think that's a good way to overcome the obstacle of just sitting still. Yeah. 
Perhaps so, there's some short ones that you guys would recommend yeah. that would mm. be good. Because uh, I haven't read too many of the short ones, but I know you... I liked yeah. when I was began with uh, Dostoevsky, I forgot I had forgotten that I read. There's a collection, it's translated by uh, Richard Bevere, and uh, I think her name is Larissa Malakonsky. Yeah. And it's The Double and the Game, uh, The Double and the Gambler, and it's two of his mm. shorter novels put together. Mm. And, you know, it's difficult to read, you know, just like any of these, uh, there are obstacles to reading it you know you 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 have to deal with the russian names i mean let's just be real like the, yeah. the those are difficult yeah. for I, English. how do you do that like what are you what if is you your... have one of these good editions they often have at the very beginning just a short guide to the mm-hmm. russian names and they'll tell you yeah. by the way you know like uh, mitya is a uh, diminutive of dimitri and so yeah you got to memorize that you got to do some vocabulary cards but over time, do you actually no, have I no, I've never I done that point. I, I, I I've never done vocabulary. That, that's but an Ian approach for sure. I have never done vocabulary <laughs> flashcards. But you do. You you have the resource to come back to it if you if you need to. You can so, do that. Yeah. Uh, my pushback is that just find a pronunciation that makes sense to you for every Russian name. That's and, the way and, Mitchell and, speaks the English language. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. yeah what pronunciation <laughs> works for you? <laughs> that's exactly. That's how I approach the English language. That's how I approach. That's how I approach names that I don't recognize. It yeah. works for me. That's true. It's that's my own personal true. language, and I understand what I mean. <laughs> that's fine. When I say that sound, well, I, I can second you on that. If you just give, yeah. if in in your own head, if you give a sound. Now, if you're doing an audiobook, you got the then you got it pronounced yeah, for you. It's great. Um, but if you just if you get a, a a certain sound in your head that goes with that name, yeah, that makes it ten times more Tim. recognizable. Well, okay. Yeah. Some, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever that that is, <laughs> it makes it that much so more. So you're saying that you see Raskolnikov on the page and you think Chad? Yeah. That, that, that was his name for me. Chad. <laughs> it's spelled a little yeah. differently. <laughs> but, I, I, I guess but, I would. And also, and yeah. I, we're friends. But yeah. I'm going to push against you one more time. You're fine. I don't I think we should it. start with Dostoevsky. Mm. Yeah, see, that's the way Mitchell. What's your personal pronunciation of Dostoevsky? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. You asked me Dolph? to pronounce him Dolph. <laughs> so, uh, so who because, would you start yeah, with? Yeah. I, I would start with with uh, Anna Kay. Yeah, I think Tolstoy mm. is easier to read. I think he's more linear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you certainly have. And not Brothers K either. No, yeah, yeah. And I think Crime and Punishment, if you're going to do Dostoevsky, that's maybe one of the small ones. Yeah. Or Crime and Punishment. Yeah, because that's, that's probably point. his most linear novel in the sense that you're you're reading a plot that goes from beginning to end. And it's gripping. And it's gripping. Yeah. yeah. But I think you're right. I think Tolstoy is better to approach. Maybe not War and Peace. No. That, your first that one. That should be the, one of the last books. Yeah. yeah. I would say Anna Karenina has really good chapter lengths. Like they're yes. not long. Yeah. And that's so that's super helpful. And it is just like clear prose. Yeah. And yeah. pacing. It, it moves. It, it changes fast enough to something else that you can then connect with what came before. Sure. It doesn't leave you for too long with one scene or one idea or one, yeah. Um, another another one I suggest uh, by Tolstoy is Master and Man, which mm-hmm. is almost novel length. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a novella. It's a long short story, um, but very, very good and very, very representative, I mm-hmm. think, of, of what Tolstoy is all about. It's the relationship between a servant and his master. Um, they get into trouble in the snow. So, yeah, and I mean, there's short stories, they're great. So, so um, I know it as um, Turgenev's Sportsman's Notebook, or, or sometimes I, I think The Huntsman's Yeah, I always notebook thought it was the, the Huntsman. The, the Huntsman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's translated uh, differently. But um, that series, that series of short stories, many of them 
my take on them is they exist for for the joy of storytelling and the joy of of writing and just the beauty of you know human interactions. Mm. Um, that that's a good place to start as well. And then the over- those short stories are very person. approachable. Yeah, those would be really good. Yeah. Yeah. So Ian, you were saying use the pronunciation guide at the beginning of the novel. Did you have any other? Really, more the character list. Character I mean, list that, that, that yeah. will help yeah. you, and then it will give you some insight into you know when you run across a diminutive or a or a nickname. As you're reading, yeah, yeah. because these novels are filled with nicknames and multiple names, so that will be helpful. Uh, you know, I think find a good translation, but don't you know, don't don't agonize over that. I personally like the Pavir and uh, Volkovsky yeah. translations of most of these. I mean, they've done Tolstoy, they've done Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've definitely printed out a list of all the names before, and like had that sure. next to me. Yeah, it's doable. Any other tips, tricks, advice as you approach Russian literature from from you two? I I don't know how much advice this is. Just something to appreciate, a, a reason to read the Russians. Um, I think I think a person can be moved and compelled by persuasive thoughts, persuasive argument, and or I think a person can be moved and compelled by the reality of the meaningfulness of life. Um, and I think reading the Russians, looking for that, looking for, uh, you know, this, this, what, what this, this civilization lost in a snowdrift, right. <laughs> but that has this, this warm, you know, coal, you know, smoldering away on the inside of their, or their art and their literature, at least for that, that time in history. Um, I, I think that that's, valuable to a person and i think it, it's it's worth it's worth spending the time through the pages yeah. right mm-hmm. uh to get to that and, and get a sense of that that human warmth and a sense of ourselves in yeah. that way it makes me think a little bit of your point you were making earlier that in russia the weather is such a pernicious character and it is a character yeah. i think you can contrast that with american literature where also in american literature mm-hmm. the the environment nature is a is a massive character mm-hmm. yeah. because people came here and there was so much of it Yes. But here, it, that that character is sometimes hopeful and sometimes like a place you go to escape the confines uh-huh. of, of civilization and reality. You know, you get a little bit of that in Anna Kay, but I think it is interesting that just the condition of being in a place where it is so cold that, you know, yeah. your appendages might fall off <laughs> is going to shape how you view the world and give you a, a transport you to another world that's vivid yeah. and interesting. You know that, yeah, you might even say that, I mean, that's a, that might even be uniquely Russian, perhaps. I mean, everyone's kind of looking for, you know, what is Russianness? What does that mean? Um, it's hard to be sort of a, a, a romantic poet wandering off in, in solitude, you know, to, to contemplate you know the the babbling brook. It's hard to do that in the middle of winter in yeah. Russia. You like you are stuck with your fellow man. You're stuck with fellow human beings. Um, I think you get a sense of that in Russian literature, and and not just stuck, but uh, you know, working through that and flourishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I think I would also just want to echo what you said about listening to it. Uh, I haven't listened to any of the Russian novels, um, but. My wife, I believe, did start an audiobook for Anna Kay, and I think that that was just a helpful. And I listened to parts of it when she was doing that, and it was it was well done, uh, and it was easy to follow. And um, and at times when you're first getting started, uh, if if you just have an on ramp, 
you know, yeah. that's that's the key. You know, yeah. having having an on ramp, and you know, if you're a mom at home and you have you know limited time and you're folding laundry, then you know it'd be great to get a few chapters in, and and that would be a great way to fit it in. Yeah, get some therapy in. I think <laughs> don't expect to get it all the first time. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something that you read again and again. And that's all the great books. Read it with other people. Read it with other people. When yeah. we read get Brothers K together, I mean, yeah. and had that book discussion, that was yeah. over a nice meal. That was very enjoyable. I yeah. gleaned a lot more from the reading. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've enjoyed talking with you guys about these books. It's been a lot of fun. And I appreciate you guys coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.